Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here with Jason Pat. Jason, oh no, the Bulls are bad again. Oh no, the tank is tank back on, possibly. I don't know. We got Zach Levine's dealing with a knee injury. Lowry Markin can't make a damn shot. And the Bulls have lost, uh, what is it, three straight and uh, I think five of six now. The one win was after our last pod when that crazy win over the Sixers. But basically, since then, it's been uh, kind of back downhill. Yeah, uh, the last pod was fun because we got to talk about that wild 4-0 team win over Atlanta. We got to talk about a really fun win against the Sixers. Since then, Bulls have played the Pistons in back-to-back games, dropping both of them. In the first one, they lose 112-104. to That was back on last Friday. They played them again this past Sunday. They gave up 131 to the Pistons. Blake Griffin just throwing the Bulls in both of those games. And then last night, the Bulls again losing to the spiraling Los Angeles Lakers, 123 to 107. Uh, LeBron, in typical LeBron fashion, just absolutely smokes the Bulls. LeBron has been mailing it in ever since the All-Star break, comes out and drops 36 and 10 on the Bulls with multiple highlight reel dunks, including one from Kyle Kuzma that was a reverse alley-oop off like a three-quarters court bounce pass. Bounce pass, yeah. Totally crazy. If you've been on the internet at all, you've probably seen it. He also had one late in the game where the Lakers are only up like 11 with four minutes left. LeBron's running a two-on-o break with Josh Hart. Josh Hart has the ball in his hands. Throws it off the backboard in LeBron reverse dunks it. So uh, that was just classic LeBron against the Bulls. There was a stack going around that uh, he's had 18 30-point games as a visitor at the United Center. Allen Iverson is the next most with eight. So LeBron has wow. just made a career out of murdering the Bulls, and it's good to see it. He good to see that he can still do it at age 34, even when he really has nothing else to play for. Yeah, although I guess the Bulls have beaten him in the regular season a lot, but obviously he has made a habit of eliminating the Bulls from the playoffs. And last uh, the, that game, elimin- officially, not that the Bulls were ever in playoff contention, but officially, womp womp, the Bulls are out of playoff contention, 19-50. and 50. That game yesterday was, was really strange because the Bulls went up, like LeBron coasted through the first quarter. Rondo played the first 12 minutes, was a minus 18. Like I was clowning the Lakers. I was so, I was so ready to just... Like I said, basically clown them entire game, just make fun of Rondo and shit all over him. I know you love Rondo, but I hated Rondo in his one season here. But yeah, and then like the Bulls went up twenty points, and then LeBron was like, "All right, enough of this nonsense," and and then he just started to dominate. And like you said, he had those highlight reel dunks, and it was just just putting it was Showtime Lakers in that in that fourth quarter with that with the lob, the lob off the backboard from Josh Hart to fin- basically finish the Bulls off. So yeah, the Bulls uh back to back to looking like. Kind of, kind of hot trash. The defense, the last, the defense in the, not only the, the Pistons game was bad, where they gave up like 130 points. The Pistons were raining threes in them, and that happened again in the Lakers game last night. After the Lakers scored 16 points in the first quarter, it looked like they were going to get their ass beat and roll over. They scored 82 points over the next two quarters. They had like 39 in the second, 43 in the third quarter. It basically was reminding me of the Warriors games and the, the both both the Warriors games this season when the Warriors just absolutely embarrassed the Bulls. The Lakers in last night's third quarter had 22 fast break points. Sacramento Kings lead the league, the entire league, with 21 fast point fast break points per game. So the Lakers had more than that in one quarter. Rondo, after I was making fun of him all first quarter, Rondo was basically running the show, pushing the ball every time. And the Bulls transition defense had no idea what they were doing. Um, like I said, this game was without Zach Levine. I guess let's, let's talk a bit about Zach Levine. He The last time we saw Zach Levine on the court was that sick, crazy Sixers game when he won, basically won the game single-handedly for the Bulls, just down over and over again, uh, getting buckets, and he got that last that last game winner on the layup. And then found out that he had a it's like a patellar tendon strain and not the knee that he got had surgically repaired at the ACL. This is the other knee. They called him like day-to-day. He, did, he didn't play in either uh, – either Pistons game than he didn't play last night's game. And I thought maybe that this was heading towards like a, like a full season shutdown. We saw that happen at the end of last year when he came back, he, uh, he got his knee started, his surgery repair knee started aching up on him and the bulls ended up with nothing to play for the tank thing. They decided to shut him down. I thought maybe that's what was going to happen, happen uh, now again, but now it looks like he just went through a full practice and Boylan said that he's hoping that Levine can play Friday against the Clippers. Do you think 
it's smart to bring him back now? Do you think the Bulls should just shut him down, or do you think they they it's fine to just bring him back and try to keep this momentum going that he's that he's uh, been playing with? No, shut him down for sure. Uh, there's only 13 games left in the season, and the upside to the Bulls dropping three straight at this point. Uh, after the Hawks win tonight, the Bulls now have a five-game cushion between them and Atlanta. So the Bulls are going to finish fourth, you know, fourth at worst. Uh, Cleveland has also picked up some wins over the last week. Cleveland is only two games in front of the Bulls, or a game and a half. Uh, I think it's a game and a half. Yeah. A game and a half in front of the Bulls right now. So if the Bulls can get to that three spot, suddenly they're back up to a 14% chance, which is the best percent chance you can have in this lottery with the new rules so uh if not if the bulls come in fourth it's 12 and a half percent we'll we'll take our chances with 12 and a half percent i think that you know that's realistically as good as you could have hoped for in terms of the lottery chances uh given how well they've played at times uh in february and during you know the post all-star break portion of the season so uh but no i think levine should totally be shut down you did steal one of the points i was going to make which is that this is an injury on his other knee, not the knee that Levine tore the ACL on. Uh, this is in his right knee. He tore the ACL on his left knee. But regardless, uh, at this point, the Bulls have nothing left to really prove this season. Uh, you know, I, I do think that they did show some serious signs of progress yeah. with their hot February. Levine was a huge part of that. Levine, if he doesn't play another game, is going to end up having a career year averaging 23.8 points per game. Uh, four and a half assists, 4.6 rebounds per game. His numbers across the board are mostly improved. If you look at, uh, you know, his usage rate, his assist percentage, uh, true shooting percentage. So we covered that in the last podcast. The dude has definitely made major strides this year. Uh, at this point, I mean, I remember debating people. I said this when Levine signed the contract. I was like, well, you know, Devin Booker got 150 million and Levine got 80 million. So. Uh, you know, I think those two guys are pretty similar. So maybe Levine isn't overpaid that badly. There's no doubt you would rather have Levine on this contract than Devin Booker on the on the max, right? Yeah, I was actually I was on CLTV Sports Feed earlier, and I actually mentioned Devin Booker's name. It's like, I mean, 19 million at this point, especially with the cap, is going to be rising. It's rising this summer, and then it's taking. I'm pretty sure another big jump in 2020. And at that point, like 19 million is like is like decent starter money basically like you think like Devin Booker is gonna be a guy making 30 some million in a few years like that's a lot and like Booker he's a good player obviously but like he's similar to Levine in that you wonder if like does is he getting empty points like is his defense actually good so like when Levine is making basically maybe like a little more than like half like two-thirds of what Booker's making I I'm totally I'm cool with that like I think I think the contract is definitely as long as he stays healthy even if he doesn't ever like really improve his defense that much, I think his offense by itself is probably valuable enough to make that contract worth. Yeah, it. and I also think he's movable if they want to move him, depending on yeah. what they do with the draft. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk draft a little bit later. I got some things to say uh, about a guy who's going to pique Bulls fans' interest. But uh, Zach Levine, you know, he doesn't need to play another game. There's 13 games left. The dude's had a pretty good year, I would say. Like, if we were going to grade yeah. him, we'll probably do this on a future podcast, but I'd probably give him a B. Or a B plus, yeah. At least, least. Because especially like, like after, after the yeah. yeah after the injury, like he was brutal coming off the injury, and like and like obviously you don't want to judge a guy too much coming off that ACL injury, but like he was really bad. Like his, his shot selection was horrible, his efficiency was awful, decision making was awful. Like you could tell, like he was really rusty, and it really never got better. And then he and then he ended the year with a sore knee. So when he's when he signed the contract, you were wondering like, is he really going to come back from this like and, and be really good? And I feel like he's pretty much past. I wouldn't say with flying colors. Like I said, he's still flawed. His defense still sucks. The decision making still has is questionable at times, but he's even improved with like the turnover rate. It's gone down a little bit as well, and his assists have gone up. So like he's definitely made strides over the course of the year, especially when the team has gotten healthier and they've started playing this more the style that's more conducive to like to, I feel like him having success. So yeah, I mean, I feel like it's been a, a positive year for Levine. And one other point I feel like making with him, like not that I, I I have I've I've talked about before that I'm not a big fan of Chris Dunn. I really think he should be basically done with the Bulls. But I feel like if you sit Levine, that also gives Dunn at least more time to either show maybe raise his trade value, prove even something. Because we saw Dunn played one of his better games against the Lakers yesterday. He still had a couple dumbass fouls, some dumbass turnovers, but he was actually pretty aggressive even right from the start. He uh, I think he had 18 points. Like he almost he flirted with a triple double. He had nine assists, seven rebounds. 
And he shot eight of 16 from the field, hit a couple of three pointers. And he took some threes. Like he was aggressive with his three point shooting. That's stepping into like, uh, like just give, when they're giving him threes, stepping into threes and taking without hesitation. So I feel like even with that, without Levine there, that could also maybe help Chris Dunn maybe find something, whatever the hell that something is. Because uh, the other, it was the other game without Levine. He really, uh, the, what was it, the second Pistons game? I think Levine actually played that first Pistons game. The second Pistons game when Chris Dunn did basically nothing and the Bulls got blown out, it was really disappointing. So that's why it was nice to see him kind of break out a little bit in that Lakers game. And that's why I feel like it'd be nice to see him just kind of do a little more with Levine out. But like I said, it seems like they're going to bring Levine back, if not Friday, maybe sometime on this West Coast, West Coast road trip. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you that I'd be fine just sitting him the rest they of the They got to sit him. This is not even a debate, dude. Like, Boylan, if you have yeah. half a brain, sit this guy. Boylan's been <laughs> overplaying a lot of these guys, too, uh, after the All-Star break. Now, they have picked up some wins because of it. But at this point, just chill, Boylan. Like, your job is safe. You're not trying to prove anything. I know you're trying to instill good habits in the guys. But the best way to instill good habits in them, I think, you know, for – uh, the depth on the roster is to sit Levine and let some of the other guys pick up a bigger workload. You mentioned Chris Dunn. It's kind of pathetic that one of Chris Dunn's best games this year, he takes 16 shots and scores 18 points. Well, that's because he still can't get no free throws, free throws uh, in that game. Dunn has not had a free throw in like five. He has three free throws the entire month, which is just crazy. I mean, free that's, throw that's pretty typical. Two makes. Uh, but I will say for Chris Dunn, he now has six straight games with two steals. So, uh, there's definitely value in that, but you know we've talked about moving done uh, quite a bit on this podcast. I'm all in favor of it. I think the Bulls need a new point guard next season, maybe two new point guards. Uh, and I have a friend who's constantly throwing fake trade ideas at me. He actually came up with what I thought was a somewhat decent one. Uh, for the first time in his life, my buddy Lance, who's known for his bad sports takes, he actually had a decent trade idea. <laughs> Uh, the other day, he put out there Chris Dunn for Frank Kaminsky. Now, Kaminsky is one year older than Dunn, so that would mean that he would need to play on the qualifying offer, I guess, for next season. I don't even know if there's no trade protection uh, if you are playing on the qualifying offer. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, I think I think if you are, I think you there is. I think you can veto, possibly, if you're playing on the qualifying offer. I think you okay, can. Okay, well, bring him I'm home. Bring Frank Kaminsky home, a proud graduate of Bennett High School uh, <laughs> on the southwest side of Chicago. Uh, you know, not that I think Kaminsky's great or anything, but his advanced stats, or his, his, I should say his numbers by the minute have at least been pretty decent. He still shot 39% from three-point range this year, only played 12 minutes a game, but shot 50% from the floor. Uh, he only played really well lately. Seven points a game, but uh, I would do Chris Dunn for Frank Kaminsky. I think uh, that's kind of fun. I, I, I mean, I guess I would take almost any useful player. I mean, because the Bulls do need they need some type of they'll need front court depth with Big Chris is uh, basically useless at this point. But I'm uh, looking at Frank was basically like getting no minutes, and he requested a trade slash buyout, and then he could, wasn't able to do anything with that. But now they've been playing him all of a sudden uh, over in the start of March, and he's actually been playing really well. He's averaging 15 a game in March, 51% from the field, 46% on threes. Uh, so sure, why not? Like, I guess you could do worse. Like, I, I really don't know because I don't know what else you're really getting for Chris Dunn at this point. Like, he's he either just turned 25 or he's going to be 25 in like a week. Uh, he's coming up on the last year of his rookie deal. Like I just, I feel like his trade value is probably almost shot at this point. So yeah, what I would I mean, want sure. from him is another guy who is kind of a draft bust. Uh, yeah. you know, if you look at tra- the same draft class, I can't imagine the Suns have any use for Dragon Bender. I believe Bender was the fourth pick. Oh no, he's been a huge yeah, bust. And Dunn was the fifth pick. Huge. Like I would even do that if I was the Bulls, even though uh Dunn is a better player than I Bender. Know. I mean, maybe not. I'm looking at Bender's numbers right now. Bender's awful. Really he's bad. terrible. But but you know, that's yeah, the kind of he's... move you want to make. I think like the Knicks, yeah. look at the Knicks roster right now, man. They, they got know? all these right. guys who were uh basically busted lottery picks they're trying to rehab they have Hazonia they have Noah Vonley who was on the Bulls briefly last year they have Emmanuel Moutier uh they got a bunch of dudes like that so I don't even think I don't know how much they like Neil Aquino like I mean I guess he'd be like kind of done in that he like can't really shoot and he's more like a defense first guy like I don't know if there's really any value of like flat flipping those I I don't really know but 
Yeah, the Knicks are just kind of a mess of young guys right now. But J- James Olin's confident they're getting big free agents, so we'll see. Yeah, about but that. that's basically my point with Chris John. <laughs> like, I think it's time to move on. Even yeah. if, let's say, in a scenario where you're drafting a point guard for next year, but you still want a veteran, I would just sign a veteran free agent over bringing back Chris Dunn because yeah. at that point he's probably not going to be in your long-term plans. He was literally the fifth pick in the damn draft. So I don't imagine that he's going to be willing to just settle into a career backup role. Uh, I think it might be best for Chris Dunn to move on to his third NBA a team start. Uh, and get a fresh start uh, so early in his NBA career. Yeah, I would see that as well. Because yeah, I mean, say you, if you did draft, say you just draft a guy, like, are you... But you know you want to upgrade a point guard. But I'm guessing they probably might not want to start the rookie point guard right away because if the Bulls are trying to make a jump, they might not want to do that. But then are you really going to start Chris Dunn? Like it definitely would seem like if they draft a guy, I feel like getting the stop stop gag stop gap veteran would probably be the way they want to go because if they want to take a next step and possibly be a playoff team, make sure like that just seems seems like they'd want to go. So if you get can get something for Chris Dunn go for it so that's why like that's that's why i kind of want to see him maybe do something down the stretch here if even if it just maybe helps his trade value at all and that's why i kind of if they if levine's out of the picture and it, it gives dunn a little more room to room to maneuver and maybe if he can put up some big stats and maybe fool a team into giving up something good for the bulls like i i would take it i'd be down for that sure uh other thing we should probably talk about Lowry Markinen, after a great February in which he averaged 26 in 12 a game over that month, uh, he's been slumping pretty hard in February, or I'm sorry, in March. Uh, after March. one great game against the Hawks, which was the 4 OT game, if you remember, he played that game sick. They were saying it during the broadcast, and yep. he even looked like it on the bench. He looked totally exhausted in that game. I think he had to be pulled at one point because he was like, he was gassed, and I think he came back in, but he was definitely. He was in like the overtimes. He did almost nothing. Like I said, I'm pretty sure he got pulled at one point because he was gassed. He said he was sick. I, don't, I think he was dealing with the flu or something else. And yeah, basically since that game, it's yeah. Been a mess. So I think that going. that game sort of set, you know, the the tone a little bit, maybe given the illness uh, for the rest of his month. But since then, hasn't been great. He's 31 for 90 from the field, which is shooting 34 percent from the field. He's nine of 40 from three point range, which is 22.5 percent. Uh, you know, there's always talk of the rookie wall, but you can hit a wall as a sophomore too, especially for a player uh, who hasn't had a ton of reps in his career, like Mark and him missing, you know, a lot of the early season portion of the schedule. Uh, are you worried about Mark and him? Do we overreact to his February? Uh, where are you at right now? I think it's a situation, just a natural fluctuation of play from young player. Like, the 25 and 12 in February, like that got people excited. That got us excited. That wasn't realistic to expect him to all of a sudden be a 25 and 12 guy from, from like here on out. Like this wasn't going to happen. He went through a hot stretch. He was, he was showing a lot of new things, but then defense adjust. He was going to go through a slump just naturally. So like, I feel like teams are being pretty a bit physical with him. They're really getting up into him, taking away some of the stuff that he was showing before. And and, not, and he's just missing shots. Like, it happens. Like, guys miss shots. Like, we saw him in the Lakers game. He was 0 of 8 from 3, 4 of 17 overall. And he was just missing open shots. And, like, it sometimes it just happens. Like, again, like, it was, it was there's reasons to be excited about Larry Markin, even with this slump. Like, we've seen the skill set he can have. We saw what he did in February. We saw what he did as a rookie. Like, he's obviously a really talented, really skilled player. He's still, whatever, 20, 21 years old. Like, it's it's very rare for a guy to come into the league right away and just be straight up dominant. Like there are some guys that have done that, but even those guys will will have slumps here and there. Like I wouldn't surprise me. I feel like if he's like he's just get, like after that huge game, hitting a bit of a wall, he's a little gassed, a little tired after the, after a, a, the huge usage in in February when he's putting up twenty five points a game and he's using all these possessions and he's pushing the ball, he's pushing pace. Like I feel like he probably just needs to use the offseason to add more strength, add more lower body strength. Like. We saw him build up his upper body uh, over this past summer. He got a lot bulkier, but he still have to build in, build up that core. He's got to get in better shape overall. I feel like with another offseason of that, we'll, he'll come back even stronger next season. I feel like there's basically nothing to worry about. Like, I mean, there are, he's not a perfect player. I think in general, I think we've seen some issues with this defense. and I think that's probably going to be a long-term issue with him. And Jim Boylan was actually talking about some of that after practice today about just kind of his defensive technique. And we saw Lowry last night some really ugly stretches defensively getting just blown by off the dribble 
uh, Rajon Rondo had one at the end of the game that just kind of was like the perfect capper of Lowry's horrible night. Just drove right past him, and there was like no effort there. And he's he just he just he needs just needs to work on that technique. He needs to work on getting in better shape, maybe get a little quicker. But overall, just like in terms of like his offense and the offensive slump, like guys go through it. I'm not worried. No, Are I'm you? not worried either. Uh, and I can't wait to see Markinen next year because. Uh, unless the Bulls hit the lottery and get Zion Williamson, I mean, Markkinen's going to be the focal point of next season. Like, he will hopefully, him and Levine will be like the two guys who are clearly leading the team in field goal attempts. And, you know, we can talk about this more uh, as next season comes closer. Obviously, we have so much time, but because of the fact that the Bulls played a lot better in February, I think that, you know, it's likely that there's going to be some playoff talk around this team next year, depending on what they do. Yeah. I mean, Stacey King literally. Stacey King's already been talking yes. about it. Otto Porter's he already going to be called back. So, uh, you know, we'll see next year when Mark Newman gets back on the court because uh, he did have an amazing stretch at one point this season. People already started talking about him being, a, you know, an all-star next year, a perennial all-star for his career. Uh, his third year next year, that's going to be, that's going to be a show me season. And we have no reason to be anything other than optimistic, but, uh, you know, the, that, that's what we as Bulls fans have to get excited about right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, when, when you see the highs, you get so excited. And when you saw this team just playing so well and scoring at ridiculous rate, like it's so easy to be like, Oh, look at these guys. Like they're all playing great. Like they're definitely going to be a playoff team next year. Like, Like we also did, you do have to pump the brakes. Like, when it, you, you have to show that you can sustain it. Like what during that great February, we were seeing Levine and Lowry playing the best basketball of their career. Otto Porter was playing, was playing out of his mind. Rolo was playing out of his mind. It was basically everything came together for them to, for that month. And they were playing the best basketball, like all these guys of their career, like over a long season, we have to see if, how we can sustain that. We have to see them play better defense. So like, like I said, Stacey King called them a playoff team. And during the, during that, the Pistons game, when they got their ass beat, like, the entire game was the Bulls broadcast, like hyping up the Bulls' future, like how Lowry and Levine are going to be all stars next year, and like the Bulls are definitely going to be a playoff team. And it was just like, meanwhile, they were losing by, they were getting their ass kicked all game. Like, like we got to chill out. Like, I, I could, I absolutely could see the Bulls making the playoffs next year. The Eastern Conference, the bottom of the Eastern playoff pictures has been typically pretty, pretty shitty uh, in recent years. Like, I could see the Bulls making a jump to a, possibly around five hundred team, but like. I, I mean, they still have a, such a long way to go where they have to prove they can sustain this this type of play and we'll see if they can do it. I mean, I feel like there's there's some reason for optimism around Lowry, around the team in general, but there's still such a long way to go. Uh, I, I kind of wish we could just fast forward to next season because like, I'm, I've kind of lost interest in these March games at this point. We've seen them get their ass beat the last couple games and it'd be nice to just kind of fast forward with the team hopefully healthy and see how they do next year, but well, I guess we'll see. We'll have to see what happens in the summer first, and it'll be. It'll uh, be one other thing I wanted to mention: uh, Otto Porter Jr. also injured. He had a bruised left knee yes. in the loss to the Lakers. So who knows if we'll be seeing him again for the rest of the year? Man, if you want to go see a Bulls game, if you want to go to the United Center, now is the time to do it on StubHub or something because these games are going to be like six bucks for the rest of the year, probably. Like we said, I'm pretty only- sure. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they. Yeah. I think they have a Knicks game. I think they have a Knicks Bulls Knicks game coming up at the UC at some point. Like I'm sure that'll be like two dollars. Yeah, stuff. and then next year, at least at the start of the season, there, there'll probably be some excitement. So we got some more things to talk about, Jason. But we should hit some ad reads. We do really quick. Uh, while we're at it, we have a couple messages for you. The first one comes from our sponsor, Harry's. Jason, if you're anything like me, you need a good shave. We have an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, in a travel blade cover you get all three for just three dollars shipped right to your door jason enough with the cheap razors it's totally worth trying harry's harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. harry's bought a world-class blade factory in germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to Harry's, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S, 
blueblades.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, Jason, let them know and they'll give you a full refund again. Make sure to go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to redeem your razor for $3. Sounds pretty great. Now also, we got the NCAA tournament coming up. Great time of year. So with the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, it's the greatest betting event of the year. It's so much fun going to Vegas, doing whatever. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champ, predicting first round upsets, or all of the above, my bookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title? Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, because who are we kidding? Nobody knows, actually knows the answers. My bookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. My bookie has been in business for years, and their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking 48 hours. It's pretty fast. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash in. Deposit with MyBookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. With MyBookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. Hell yeah, man. Getting paid. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So uh, I want to talk a little bit of draft here. In particular on one guy who should be of interest to Bulls fans and to NBA fans in general entering the draft. That is Murray State point guard John Morant, who punched his ticket to the NCAA tournament this week with a heroic performance in the the Ohio Valley Conference tournament. Uh, Murray State was not by any stretch a lock to make the NCAA tournament this year. We've seen plenty of mid-major stars through the years miss the big dance. And I thought that was possible, if not likely, for Murray State uh, entering the conference tournament because the OVC was actually really tough. Uh, Jacksonville State was a team that went 15-3. and Austin P went 13-5. and Belmont went 16-2. and They tied for the regular season crown. Uh, with Murray State. They have an NBA prospect of their own named Dylan Windler, who the Bulls might be considering with the Grizzlies pick in the second round. Uh, But, you know, Morant willed his team to the NCAA tournament with just an unbelievable show. In the semis, he hits a game winner in the closing seconds to beat Jacksonville State, gets an and-one layup with his team down one, uh, pushes them into the final to play Belmont, and then They whoop Belmont's ass. He goes off for 36 points, grabs 11 boards, basically is doing his best Russell Westbrook impression. Uh, So now John Morant is in the NCAA tournament, and that's great news for the people who haven't really gotten to see him play, which is, well, I think almost everyone. That's like me. Yeah, that's everyone. That is me. Uh, Because, you know, playing in the OVC, uh, you know, the games a lot of times were streamed on uh, ESPN channels, but... Uh, let's be honest, no one's watching Ohio Valley Conference basketball uh, during the winter. So now the whole country is going to be get a, getting a chance to see Morant uh, up close and personal. He has a chance to be the second pick in this draft uh, behind Zion Williams. And I would say that Zion is the only certainty in this draft. And after that, it's John Morant. So, uh, you know, if the Bulls come up with the second or third pick, we've already seen John Paxson, Gar Foreman, uh, pretty much the entire front office there in person scouting Morant. Uh, I think Morant is going to be someone they heavily consider and someone they might even take. Yeah, I said I've never I've never really seen him play. Like I can't say I tune into Murray State basketball. I've seen a few highlights. I saw that game winner highlight the other day. I know you've talked about about him some before. Uh, so I guess what if what. We've talked about how the Bulls need probably need a new point guard. They probably need to move on. Uh, just what? How would John Morant fit into the, what the Bulls like to do? Like, would it, would he would be a good fit next to Zach Levine? What does he? What are some of the characteristics he brings to the table? Please just give us your scouting report on John Morant, possible Bulls future. So the point reason guard I think Morant is going to be either the second or third pick in the draft is because he does have a sliver of star potential. It might be. Uh, 15% chance it might be a 10% chance but there is at least a small a small opportunity for John Morant to become a star in the NBA and I think it's because of his style of play this is an all out attacking point guard uh you know you'll hear Westbrook is a comparison for him it's not so much 
that his attributes are similar to Westbrook's, but his playing style is. Uh, you look at this year, he put up an astronomical usage rate, 36% usage rate that's Westbrookian in every sense. Uh, he's someone who's going to attack the basket relentlessly, super, super athletic. Uh, he'll jump off two feet lately. He's been working on jumping off one. He's going to fly towards the basket, try to dunk it on your head. So his athleticism and his speed is really the first thing that pops. This is a guy who has the potential to compete in a dunk contest in the NBA. He's that type of athlete at 6'3", 175 pounds. I think that you know his superstar equity, we'll call it, comes almost exclusively from his offense. This is a guy who, if you put the ball in his hands, if you surround him with shooting, he can be really dynamic, attacking the defense off the dribble. He has great court vision. People see the dunks so often on uh, on SportsCenter, on social media, but you know what some people might not realize, he actually led college basketball this year in assist rate. He assisted on 51.6% of his team's baskets when he was in the game. Uh, just a really, really impressive passer. He'll remind you a lot of Trey Young with his ability to throw one-handed passes. He's someone who throws a lot of one-handed passes in part because he plays the game so quickly. He had a quote on that uh, earlier this year where he said he prefers to throw one-handed passes instead of two because he has to slow down too much to throw two-handed passes. So I think that, you know, the scouting report on Morant is that he's the type of point guard where you put it in his hands and you let him go to work. If you surround him uh, with, you know, NBA level shooting and spacing, if you put him in a high pick and roll and let him pick apart the opposing defense, attack the basket, that's where he can be really good. Super skilled passer, super explosive attacking the basket. He's someone who just has a relentless mindset and is going to get into the teeth of the defense uh, and try to get you points. So, uh, you know, if the Bulls were to draft John Morant, I think that, the bet there would be that maybe this can take their offense to the next stratosphere. This can be a guy who can maybe be a 20-point-per-game scorer in the NBA, but he can also unlock the futures of Larry Markkinen, of Wendell Carter Jr., of Otto Porter, of Zach Levine, because he's someone who makes the game easier on everyone else by being such a competitive and high IQ point guard. He has a really great feel for the game. Now, he does have a lot of turnovers. He averaged over five turnovers a game which seems insane. Uh, If you follow college basketball, that's a ton for the NBA and college games are even shorter. But, uh, you know, that's because Murray State wanted him to attack at all costs. And he basically was a one-man show for this team. Uh, And he he willed him all the way to the NCAA tournament. So his his skill did have a pretty big impact on winning games, which is something I would say uh, will be a question moving forward. You know, how does his style impact winning? He's obviously going to be a ball-dominant, high-usage guy. Uh, he, he has some drawbacks too, and we can talk about those. First of all, he's 170, 175 pounds soaking wet. Yeah, I was going to ask gonna about gonna need to add a lot of strength. And Size. you can say that about a lot of guys too. He is young for his class. He was born uh, April 10th, 1999. So he's, he's super young for a sophomore. This is his sophomore season. As a freshman, he also played in the NCAA tournament, actually. Uh, so in both of his years of school, His team won the OVC tournament to make the big dance. They got knocked out by Javon Carter in West Virginia last year in the 5-12 matchup. I assume they're probably going to have a somewhat similar seed this time. They'll probably be anywhere from a a 10 to a 12, I would guess. Uh, And, you know, Moran's going to have the defense locked in on him. So, uh, you know, adding strength to his frame, I think, is one of the biggest things. His jumper, I do not really trust. Now, it's worth noting he shot 81% from the foul line. uh, And as a three-point shooter, I mean, R.J. Barrett, I don't know if people realize this, entering the ACC tournament, R.J. Barrett's a 31% three-point shooter. Morant's at 34%. And he's taken a lot of three-pointers this year off the dribble because, you know, he's had to get his offense going to help his team win. The shot, I don't think, looks great coming out of his hands. It kind of looks like a two-handed push shot. I don't love his fundamentals on it. But given the fact that he is such a good free-throw shooter, I think he has potential uh, to be an outside shooter. But mostly, this is going to be an attacking point guard uh, who's going to whip passes all around the court to try to set his teammates up. To me, the biggest question mark, though, is defensively. And I just don't know if a Zach Levine, John Morant pairing defensively is tenable long-term in the NBA. Uh, There's tons of videos out there of Morant's defense 
being really shaky just in terms of his general fundamentals. Now, uh, you know, getting older and learning technique, especially from a defensive guru like Jim Boylan, would certainly help him moving forward. Adding strength would help him. Uh, but, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of videos out there on draft Twitter of him just taking like the wrong angle off a screen or or stuff like that. So sort of like not really understanding how to play high caliber defense. Uh, and then you have to realize jumping from the OVC to the NBA, man, that is just going to be a huge jump, especially for someone who's so skinny, especially for someone who's young for his age. Uh, I think Morant is a safe bet to be a really productive NBA player. I think there's a chance he might not be the type of guy who plays a winning style, but there's a chance he could be for sure too, because offensively he does have a really high IQ game. He is such a great passer and really there's no comparison for his athleticism. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is another guy he often gets comp to in terms of being skinny and super fast. Well, I don't know if he quite is Fox's speed. Fox might be the fastest player in the NBA, Fox also a much better on-ball defender than Morant is. Uh, So, you know, to me, this really goes back to a question about uh, just philosophy. What type of point guard do you want next to Zach Levine long-term? Me, I would like an oversized point guard who could defend multiple positions, uh, who could, you know, would allow you to stick Levine on the weaker of the two backcourt guys to sort of fortify as much as you can the Bulls' defense. Uh, Morant is not going to be a good defensive point guard. So that, especially early in his career, I mean, maybe as he gets to be 24, 25, 26, but early in his career, he's definitely not going to be a good defensive point guard. Perhaps that puts a burden on Levine to try to improve and be a more attentive defender, but uh, that's what would have me worried next to Morant. And, you know, for all of his skill offensively, I do think, you know, there's a good argument to be made that, What the Bulls need is to supercharge the offense as much as they can, play as fast as possible, have this guy who's a great shot creator, both for himself and others, inject the offense with a new bit of life. Uh, But, you know, the flip side of it is like, if you're the Bulls, how much more offense do you need? Do you really want to sell out on an all-offense, no-defense point guard when you've already got guys like uh, Lowry Markman and Zach Levine, who should be high-usage, primary offensive options, Otto Porter and Wendell Carter are sort of like middle middle tier usage uh, quality offensive players. Both of those guys are good defensively. It's like, what do you want out of that fifth starter, out of that point guard slot? Do you want to take the chance at going for a star? I do think Morant has more star equity than anyone else in this draft besides for Zion Williamson. I'm including RJ Barrett in that, who I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, but I also think that his floor is lower. I think that, you know, someone like Jarrett Culver, who would probably be my preferred player for the Bulls to take, We could talk about him uh, a little next week when we do our NCAA tournament preview. But I feel like, you know, his Culver's ceiling isn't as high as Morant. I don't think Culver really has a chance to be, you know, a top 15 or 20 overall player where Morant, he does have a chance to do that, be it, like I said, 10 or 15% chance, whatever you're going to put the odds at. He has that type of ability, uh, but Morant has a much lower floor. I think it's a, a real roll of the dice. And that's especially the case because of the pairing with Levine in the backcourt. If the Bulls had more of a three and D type of two guard, uh, I would think Morant would be a great choice. But because they have, you know, a high usage two guard who likes the ball in his hands and who has already shown he can operate at above average efficiency while playing at a really high usage rate in Zach Levine. I'm not sure if getting sort of a redundant player in that sense works out with Morant, but Morant is a tremendous facilitator and playmaker. And boy, would it be fun to watch the Bulls just turn up the tempo, let Morant go in the open court, have him flinging these one-handed passes to Markinen in the corner, to Otto Porter off pick and rolls. Uh, It could be fun. So you can argue it both ways. uh, And, you know, who knows? The Bulls might not even have a chance at John Morant because I do think he's going to be either the second or third pick in the draft come June. Second or third pick. Yeah, so yeah, when you're talking about like the fit and like point guard next to Levine, like I know I feel like we talked about last time, like I mentioned like Malcolm Brogdon. I feel like either you want like three and D, like dude who can shoot like 40% low usage and can D up, or you need like bona fide super, like superstar point guard. So I guess like, I guess you you said Morant could possibly be that. And I feel like if he, if he was like superstar offensive caliber player, like maybe the Bulls just have a ridiculously good offense. Uh, maybe Wendell Carter fortifies their defense enough. If they find enough other good defensive players, 
maybe they could that could make it work. Like what would like would what would you what do you think would, would you put odds on what you think like John Morant like turning into a like a I don't want to say bona fide superstar. Like I don't want to say like Russell Westbrook level. Like I know you've mentioned Russ as a comparison, but like like what do you think he could be like, yeah, like said- the odds of him becoming like a bona fide all star score like twenty twenty five point per game guy. If if he can be like that, I could live with that instead of like just three and D like guy. Like I feel like if you're gonna have, if you're gonna get a star point guard there, like sure. I'll, even if yeah, it, like if someone like some Malcolm Brogdon is really safe and someone without a high ceiling. Yeah. Morant is not a safe pick, but he's got a super high ceiling. I mean, this is a hyper explosive athlete, super fast, loves playing in the open court. And the dude's also really competitive like him and Levine would probably jive together I would think maybe they'd butt heads initially but I think that his attitude would resonate with Levine we know Levine uh is a really competitive guy and I think you know with a lot of the comments Levine has made throughout this year about how the Bulls were playing initially under Jim Boylan when he was critical of that and then how he's kind of built up guys like Wendell Carter throughout the season uh with his quotes in the postgame locker room I think that him and Morant would jive in that sense. Morant has a really flashy game for sure, but there's also some substance. It's not just style. Uh, to me, it's like his athleticism and his playmaking ability is really what gives him a chance to be a star. I said 10 or 15% chance to be like, you know, a superstar. Now to be an all-star, he has a better chance than that. I mean, he might have, you know, just based on being the second pick, maybe he's got a 40 or 50% chance of being an all-star. Yeah. Uh, but you have to one have to think like how do the pieces complement each other? So like, would it even be possible for the right. Bulls to build a good defense if Zach Levine, John Morant, and Larry Markkinen are all on the floor together for 35 minutes a game, even with Wendell Carter and Otto Porter, who are two of the better defenders at their position potentially projecting them forward? Uh, I just don't know if the Bulls could still build a top 10 defense, let alone a top five defense, with those guys in place. However, that's a ton of offensive firepower. Uh, You compare it to the Suns, it's like, you know, no one who is a big NBA Twitter nerd seems to be too high on the Suns. I think a lot of that is because their two best players, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, don't play a ton of defense. We'll see if that continues to be the trend moving forward. Ayton has been better defensively as of late in his rookie year. Uh, But you just don't want so many guys who are minuses on one side of the ball on the court. It might be worth a roll of the dice because Morant does have that type of offensive upside. This guy is a freak athlete. Uh, And when you just consider his general story, I mean, he was a two-star recruit. His only high major offer came from South Carolina really late in the game. Otherwise, he had only mid-major offers. He didn't have a recruiting page on ESPN or 24-7 sports or rivals. He was totally off the radar, but... Uh, He got a late invite to a camp being put on by Chandler Parsons' AAU team, and the Murray State assistant coach found him in like a side gym. His name wasn't even on uh, the roster packet that you get when you go to events like that. I've been to him before. So this is a guy who is totally off the radar, who might be the second freaking pick in the NBA draft. Great story. Seems like he comes from a great family. Uh, His dad has been giving a ton of media uh, interviews. His name is T. Morant. He helped train him making him do box or box jumps, tire jumps. He had a quarter court in his backyard in South Carolina. He comes from the small town in South Carolina with 2,000 people in it. Mike Schmitz of ESPN wrote a great feature on him. Jeremy Wu of SI wrote a great feature on him. Mirren Fader of Bleacher Report went there and wrote a great feature on him. Uh, so there's a ton of information about John Morant and his personality out there if you want to get a better look. Uh, the basic scouting report is that this guy is a freak athlete. He's an amazing passer. He'll dunk it on your fucking head. Uh, he's not a polished outside shooter. He's super skinny. And defensively, he has a ton of work to do. So, you know. So, another quick question. So, if they did end up with Morant, I would assuming you you don't think he'd – like, what do you think of him being, like, immediate impact? It sounds like he probably needs some time, like – it seems like if this would be a situation where if they drafted him, they would definitely want to go sign like a veteran to, yeah, to start I think next so. season. And now, I don't know who that guy would be. I don't know if you're still in the mix for someone like Darren Collison, who right now is a starter on what, the three seed, which is how the Pacers are playing right now in the Eastern Conference. Uh, so like, I don't know like the quality of a point guard you're going to be committing to uh, at that point, because then, you know, if you're throwing Morant out there too, 
I mean, if he's playing a ton of minutes, your playoff aspirations are probably taking a pretty big hit just because he's so young. I think that he could still be productive and show flashes. Uh, but yeah, you definitely want to sign another point guard. I don't have a list of veteran point guards in front of me. I would be scared the Bulls would want D Rose to mentor him. I would not personally want the Bulls to sign D Rose. We don't need to get into the pros and cons of that signing on this podcast right now. Uh, but there's a ton of like veteran free agents that'll be available. I and mean, we've talked about like Allison, Rubio, yeah, Patrick Beverly. Beverly. Like, if you want to go. Yeah, it's like if you. I know there's some like the younger big names that are like. We've talked about Brogdon, like. D'Angelo Russell is going to be a restricted free agent. I'm assuming. I mean, that's like big, bigger, big like gambles. Like, uh, I feel like the Nets are probably going to keep him. So you're looking at base. I feel like Collison Rubio and Patrick Beverly are the guys that have been most brought up that would make sense on like a short term deal. Like, I'm not. I don't think anyone's committing big money or like long term money to those guys. Like the Pacers, maybe the Pacers bring back Collison. I know they got a lot of guys to resign, so I'm not really sure how that's going to work out. But I feel like those three names are the most popular that I can remember. Like, I, I don't. I haven't looked at a those that closely i feel like i've kind of talked myself out of rubio just because i don't like the shooting i feel like it would kind of just be chris dunn all over again except older and i don't even he might even be worse at this point so like i feel like collison would be a decent option i feel like beverly would be as just a three and d three point shooter he'd bring a lot of toughness and grit and chicago tough kind of stuff so i feel like that could be how about even archie diakono getting some starting minutes now i wouldn't love that especially if they're trying to compete for a playoff spot next year, but RG Diakono is third in the NBA in assist to turnover ratio. He's, he's been really good. Like for what he is, like he's been, I, he, you can't really ask for anything else. I saw someone on Twitter saying that a team might try to steal him from the bulls on something like a three or $15 million deal. Uh, who knows if the bulls would pay him, but at that point, if they were going to pay him, I think he'd be seeing major minutes. Whereas if they draft Morant and then sign a veteran, then Archie Diakono is your third string point guard. Uh, I would like Pat Beverly. I think that that would be a good name for the Bulls. Uh, I mean, Goran Dragic has a player option too. Maybe he opts out of that and you can get him without totally overpaying him. I know he's a bigger name. Uh, you know, J- Jeremy Lin uh, is another guy. Corey Joseph. On the Pacers, Corey Joseph. So both Collison and Joseph will be free agents. Sure. Another possibility there. I'd take either of those guys for if you're just looking for short term, like seems fine to me, I guess. Okay. So I guess moving on from that, then uh, if you, I know we're going to talk about more draft prospects next, next week, go in depth. Some of those guys are, if they didn't get Morant as a point guard, are there any other point guards who you think would make sense in the draft, even if, whether it's whatever, four or five, or maybe even, Later in the draft for the second round pick, like are there any other point guards in this draft? Who, yeah, the think other would be point guard who's going to be taken in the lottery. And point guard is weak this year. It's not like it was two years ago when you had Fultz and Lonzo and Dennis Smith and De'Aaron Fox uh, and Nilakina Man. Not a lot of those guys have panned out so far. But, uh, you know, this draft is mostly heavy on wings. The one other point guard who's going to go in the top 10 it appears like right now is Darius Garland, who only played four games this season for Vanderbilt before tearing his meniscus, shutting it down for the season. Uh, he's a small guard. He's only 6'2 or 6'3. Again, very skinny. Uh, he's someone, though, his game is predicated on off-the-dribble shooting. So if you want someone who's going to pull up, rip threes, uh, and still ideally be a high IQ point guard, that isn't totally proven yet. Uh, but you know, that's, that's the ideal version of Darius Garland. He hit 47% of his threes this year, uh, in those four games on 4.6 attempts per game. But what troubled me is that he averaged more turnovers than assists. He only averaged 2.6 assists and 3.0 turnovers. Uh, now I saw him play at the AAU level. I saw him play, uh, he was out of Florida, I believe without looking it up. No, he's out of Tennessee. I'm sorry. Uh, but I think he played for the Florida Nike team on the EYBL. Uh, and I saw him play on that circuit and thought that he was the best point guard in that class. Uh, like I said, not a great point guard class, but it also included uh, Trey Jones, who is on Duke, who is another guy who could go in the first round. Uh, I mean, Kansas is starting a freshman point guard this year named Devin Dotson. So there there are some decent freshman point guards around the country. I thought that Garland was the best of those guys entering college. I am a little bit surprised his stock has been in the top 10, given the fact that 
you know, he sort of has a reputation as this heady point guard, but he hasn't really proven it as a facilitator. I mean, granted, he only played four games. He's also just really small. So I wonder about his ability to finish over length inside. I wonder about his ability to defend. We talk about Morant likely not being a good defender. Morant at least stockpiles blocks. Morant has been blocking shots like crazy uh, in the OVC lately down the stretch. If you look at his last few games, uh, two blocks and he had zero, but then he had two, one, three, one, one, two, one. So Morant gets a ton of blocks, uh, also gets some steals. You look at his steals, uh, just working up by his most recent game and back one, one, two, one, zero, one, zero, one, two, one, one, four, one, three, 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 one, two. So yeah, Morant gets a lot of steals. Obviously he's playing low competition, uh, but I feel like Garland's not going to be good defensively either. Garland, like you, like there's going to be a urge by some people to like compare him to Chris Paul because he's small and has off the dribble shooting. But like Chris Paul's a monster defensively. I just don't see Garland really being that type of guy. Yeah. If you want to talk about a good defensive point guard, there's Trey Jones. But what I want out of a point guard is someone with the versatility to defend either backcourt spot. Trey Jones is too small too. He's going to be a one position defender. Uh, the guy I like who Bulls can maybe Question. get with their second round pick, which right now would be the number 37 is Ty Jerome, who is Virginia's second best player. Uh, Ty Jerome's a junior six, five guard. I think he's got more scoring ability than Archie Diakono and more defensive potential. Cause he's bigger. He's stronger. He's a little bit faster. Uh, he's a really good player. I like Ty Jerome a lot and I'd even take him with a late first round pick. Uh, Kobe White would be another guy. Yeah, that's, Kobe, that's White is a score Kobe White first guy. He's a combo guard who's been playing point guard for North Carolina this year. Six foot five. He has flashed some pretty impressive vision. He just burned Duke. He dropped twenty one on Duke uh, in the last game of the regular season for UNC. UNC won that game. They swept Duke in the season series without Zion. He's, he's been had really some huge lately. games he's lately. Tear lately for him, like you said, he's had some huge games lately. Uh, he's got the step back jumper, which is huge in today's NBA. Kobe White will splash that on your face. He's got pretty deep shooting range. Uh, to me, he's more of like a Lou Williams combo guard type guy, uh, rather than like someone who is going to like run the offense. Like I want to Shea Gilgis Alexander type next to Levine, someone who has high upside, but is mostly going to be a big, long, versatile defender uh, who can put pressure on the defense, get to the foul line, just attract defensive attention, but still make the right play, make the high IQ play. Uh, I would try to trade the pick for Shea Gilgis-Alexander if the both could, but yeah, if that's not realistic, <laughs> I mean, you know, Morant, Morant would be a roll of the dice, but he's got high upside, man, so it could be fun. Yeah, it sounds fun. Like I said, we'll definitely talk about uh, prospects more in next week's uh, pod because that will be leading up to the NCAA tournament. Uh, so uh, to finish out here, uh, let's talk about this article. Darnell Mayberry did an interview with our guy Jimmy. Did you what did you call That's him? It. Jimmy Buckets Boylan, right? Is that what your nickname for him was? Jimmy Buckets Boylan. Yeah, Darnell Mayberry uh, did a sit-down interview uh, with Jimmy Buckets Boylan. Uh, two-parter. We got... Part one of it dropped today at over at the Athletic, and it was kind of just uh, Jimbo, basically just kind of talk, dishing on his his philosophies. Obviously, we've been very critical of Jim Boylan on this podcast. You thought he should have been fired like three weeks, like basically right away after the mutiny happened. He shouldn't coach another game, uh, and this just kind of gave him the chance to kind of talk about what he's all about, what he believes in, his philosophies. Uh, what did you, what, was there anything that stood out from this interview that, that really caught your eye about what he believes yeah, I actually and what thought he really thinks came is important as a well, coach? Uh, in this interview, it was a really nice job by Darnell, who's been great on the beat all season for the athletic, uh, to get some time sitting down with him. One thing I thought was really funny. The first picture in the story is Boylan at a whiteboard with the word math written out in all caps and underlined. So I thought that was hilarious. But he was talking about basically how the math of the game changed. He said the game has changed more in the last five years than the previous 30 years before that uh, because of the infatuation with the three-point shot, because of how teams uh, have to defend now while other teams play for, like, you know, the Mori ball layups, threes, and free throws. 
type of strategy. I thought Boylan came out really well in this interview. Obviously, a lot of what Boylan says in the press in general is total nonsense. I wanted to bring this up too while we're talking about Boylan. When Wayne Selden Jr. got thrown out of the Lakers game uh, on Tuesday, Boylan had a quote. I just told him we're not going to do that here, Boylan said. He's not going to get technicals here. I'll get the technicals. And he was great about that. So just classic meatball Boylan being like, I'm the only one who has the authority to get the technicals. But back to this uh, interview with Darnell and the Athletic, I thought Boylan sounded like a really smart basketball mind. I mean, he was talking about the need to play out of flow, pick and roll. Uh, Offensively, he was talking about how to defend a slipping screener, which is when you hear him yell square over the broadcast, that's what he's referring to, uh, guarding against the slipping screener, not thinking that the guy is actually going to come set a screen when you know he's just going to slip it. Uh, So it's a really good read, I thought, for Bulls fans. Uh, If you remember, The Athletic's definitely worth it subscribing over there, Stefan Noe does great work. Darnell's uh, been awesome too, and he did some some fantastic work on this interview. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like some of the stuff like he talked about. That you mentioned the math and like his just philosophies here. I'll read some of the stuff here. Uh, and he, he also talked about his defense philosophies, like in terms of guarding three point shooters and like and and he 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 clearly does, is very he believes he believes what he believes. Like he he he's very I, I don't want to say stubborn, but he's obviously made some adjustments. Like he. He did talk about again the stuff with about how like when he started his start when he took over his coach the crawl before you can walk whole thing I still I still really just can't buy that just because of how bad they were but he did talk about that again here but then, so then so what we one of the big things that we we criticized was the offense and like that the slow pace the they weren't shooting many threes and the post and all the post ups and all that kind of stuff and that was something we were critical of so Darnell asked him how do you like to play offensively and his his response was, I like to play smart, run when it's appropriate, and when we have numbers. I like to throw the ball ahead. I like my wings to run. I don't like a lot of dribbles in transition. I like to throw it in and have guys attack. You mentioned the flow pick and roll thing. Uh, and then he talked about multiple ball handlers, which obviously makes sense. Having multiple guys out there that can attack off the dribble, that can push in transition. We've kind of seen more of that lately. We've seen Lowry push in transition. We see the guards push in transition. I think that's really, really good to have a versatile attack. I feel like all that stuff kind of makes sense. Uh, and he and he and he talked about stuff. He talked about getting rid of long twos because I feel like when he did took take over, they were taking shots late in the clock. They were j- taking more long twos, and I feel like th- those have gone away a bit more lately. I haven't looked at the, ex- the exact numbers. I'd have to dig into that a little more to see the splits of and how like their shot profile has been looking lately. But I feel like it's definitely been a bit, bit better. I feel like they they're still not taking a lot of threes. And Darnell mentioned that in here as well. While that while they've been trending upward. It's still like relative, like to the rest of the league, they haven't been taking that many. But I feel like they've been taking more. And he talked and and he talked a bit, a bit about that how he wants them to take smart shots, wants them to take open shots. But he's not his philosophy isn't just like jack, jack, jack threes. He's he's fine taking some con- con- contested threes. He said I don't mind a contested three from the corner, but I want to, he wants them to take open shots and he wants them to take quality shots, which I think which all makes sense. And like I said, he says we've limited our mid range twos. I've coached them not to settle for mid range twos. So like. I feel like a lot of the stuff he says in here does make sense. Like what the kind of the stuff we've been asking for in terms of those flow pick and rolls in terms of shooting a bit more threes, I guess we'll see how it gets put into practice. If he's for the rest of the, the rest of the season, like the offense has fallen back a bit, but part of that has to do with Lowry really struggling. I feel like if he stays around next year, we'll see how they play next year and what kind of pace they play with. I mean, he, he clearly isn't like, I don't, I don't think he's as much, Hoy ball, pace and space, three point as him, but I feel like he does have some of those philosophies. I feel like I kind of agree with you. Like I really, I didn't see anything in here that was like really just like goofy. Because I think Darnell even mentioned at the beginning of the interview as well that he like a lot of his post game press conferences are like he uses cliches and buzzwords, buzzwords, and it's kind of annoying. I think even from what I remember, I think Boylan even mentioned that he's kind of self aware about some of the nonsense that he talks about in his post game press conferences. So as you mentioned, like I feel like he. He's clearly a really smart guy uh, in terms of he knows way more basketball than we do. I still have some questions about him in terms of his in-game strategies, his timeout management, his substitution patterns, kind of stuff like that. He said, I, and like in the, the post game, the quotes can be just goofy as hell, classic meatball kind of stuff. So like, I mean, I feel like right now, like Boylan kind of feels like a guy who like an A to B coach where like he can, he might be a decent guy for this young team, like teaching them fundamentals helping them grow a little bit. But I, 
I don't know if he's like the long-term answer. Like it seems like when he was at Utah, like they got sick of him after a while. Like I feel like there's a reason he was probably an assistant coach for so long. Like he feels like a really good, smart mind to have on the coaching staff. But in terms of like the long-term like face of your franchise coach, like I'm still, I can't really say I'm sold on that. I'm assuming you would agree considering you've yeah, been Yeah, I agree. But I like Boylan more after reading this interview. So if you have uh athletic subscription, uh, go read this because Darnell did a great job with it. And I thought that Boylan uh, really proved that he knew what he was talking about. And, you know, it's easy for people like me and you to sit back here. Like this dude has forgotten more basketball than yeah. we'll ever know in our entire life, you know? Uh, so it was, sure. it was interesting to learn some about his background too. He was saying that he was an offensive assistant at different points in his career under Eric Musselman, former Kings coach, who is now the coach of Nevada, a team with final four aspirations and March madness. Uh, it, it was cool just to, you know, learn a little bit about Boylan and how he sees the game. The dude definitely knows his stuff. Uh, I, I did think it was kind of funny at one point when he was like, you know, what I wanted to do at the beginning is get the ball in the paint a little bit more. That was a criticism. He said, he's like, that was a criticism right. with the last the coach point. who was here yeah. that the ball never entered the paint. I was like, what the hell? I mean, maybe Gar and Pax were telling him that, but like, I never heard that on Twitter <laughs> from anyone, uh, you know, reputable criticizing the Bulls for not getting the ball into the paint, unless I'm just forgetting it under Hoiberg. But uh, good interview in general. And yeah, I mean, Boylan's going to be around. Yeah, so whatever. I mean, that wrapped it up for me. Yeah, uh, just I guess the last point on this, like he, I did kind of like at the end here when he was talking about and this, some of this stuff, some of this, this was kind of meatball stuff at the end. We were talking about tough guys. He said tough like eight times in one paragraph, talking about his coaching staff and like Pete Myers is a tough guy. Nate, Lonser, Lancer, I'm not sure how to say his name, like Sean Rusper, tough guys, John Paxson, tough guys. But then he ended it with talking about leadership. And I did kind of like how he talked about just like his taking accountability of his leadership and how he's willing to take criticism. He said, I'll take all the criticism. I'll take all the negativity that he's felt like he's, he's sticking with his guns. Like he, 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 he obviously knows that he's been, he's been criticized a lot. And I did kind of like how he's willing to take the accountability on that. Like he de- I definitely agree with you that he that he comes off pretty well in this interview, and we'll see we'll see what part two is about. Uh, I, I would assume that'll be coming either it probably sometime in the next two days. I'm I'm curious to see see. Uh, right, man, what's we talked about the Bulls that. for an hour. Yeah, that was an hour. We just they've lost they got their ass beat basically the last three games. Uh, we found, found play to talk about, but uh, yeah, I got I got nothing else. Uh, I guess we can do a quick look just quick look ahead at the schedule here, upcoming schedule. Uh, before we totally wrap up here, they do go on a, I believe it's a three game road trip coming up. They start on Friday in Los Angeles. They play the Clippers. The Clippers have been hell of a story. Uh, they traded Tobias Harris and they've only like gotten better, which is crazy. They trade their best player at the deadline. They've only gotten better. They look like they're gonna be a playoff team. They've got a really good culture there. I mentioned Patrick Beverly. Lou, you mentioned Lou Williams. Lou Williams has been playing out of his mind. He just became the all time leader in bench points in NBA history. Like he's, Probably going to win sixth man of the year again. So uh, good for Lou Williams. But uh, yeah, so they play at the Clippers on Saturday. And I believe they go to the Sacramento Kings next. I think that's Sunday. Yeah, so Friday at Clippers, uh, 9.30 p.m. Chicago time. And then Sunday, we got a late afternoon slash evening game in Sacramento. I think the Bulls always struggle in Sacramento. I can't remember what they've done the last year or two, but I feel like it's been a house of horrors for them. In general, the Kings have been a fun team this year. I feel like that should be a fun game. Couple, depending on who's playing, the Kings have kind of fallen out of the playoff race, but I think they're still they're still going to fight to the end, obviously. And they have a fun young team, worth watching. And then uh, they end the road trip at Phoenix, and Phoenix has not been completely shitty. They've kind of they've kind of found their groove a little bit. They've just beat the Warriors. They beat the Bucks for a second time. So that could be a fun game as well with Booker playing better, with DeAndre Ayton playing better. They also have Michael Bridges. Uh, so this is gonna be a pretty tough road trip for the Bulls, and it'll be a good test to see if they can kind of bounce back from this from this tough little stretch. Uh, are any of those? Do no you, way, bro. You looking forward to any of games? You plan on watching now. any of these or what? That's true. That's true. It's tournament mode. It's what Sundays. That's gonna be the uh, Bulls Kings is gonna be during selection. Yeah, Sunday, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm straight in NCAA tournament mode right now. At the Just same to time. peel back what I did today. I wrote five stories today, uh, basically on the case for each of five of the best teams in the country of them winning the national title. So uh, I was churning out the content all day. I'll be doing that uh, through March Madness. I'm going to the final four actually uh, in Minnesota. I'm covering it for the fourth time in the last five years. So uh, that's a big thrill for me. I'm excited and grateful that SB Nation 
uh, is sending me to Minnesota for that. Do I wish it was somewhere warmer? Yes, but at least it's pretty close. So that'll be fun. And, uh, you know, hopefully <laughs> we'll get a Zion Williamson versus John Morant matchup in the final four for me to scout. Well, that'd be sweet. Well, like I said, have fun with all the draft prep, or the, all the yeah, tournament draft prep, all that stuff. I'm definitely excited for the tournament. I'll, I, I always tell myself that I'm going to watch more college basketball uh, just to like get a better feel for some of these draft prospects. And then I never do. I end up watching shitty Illinois and like, that's basically it. Uh, so that'll be fun to watch the tournament. Really excited to look forward to it and get a better feel for some of these guys and really getting dressed up. Like I said, next week when we, when we fit our next cash considerations pot in, we will be very tournament draft heavy because at this point, like I said, there's really not that much to talk about the bulls. We've kind of hammered everything home with them at this point. So we're going to hopefully go draft draft tournament heavy next week. Should be a lot of fun. But besides that, I think that's basically all we got. Uh, just want, want to, as always, give a shout out to Blue Wire Pods for uh, for hosting us. We have a new podcast I want to shout out. Uh, Andy Bailey and Dan, I believe it's Favale. A couple of good guys. I know they're good on the NBA Twitter sphere. I've worked with Andy when I was with FanRag Sports. He's a smart dude. He's a lawyer. Dan Favale, I believe, is with Bleach Report. They got a new pod called Hardwood Knox that Blue Wire just added. So check those guys out as well. Like I said, check out all the other pods around the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We've got a ton of good ones. So besides us, check out all that other stuff. And uh, I guess that's all for us today. Later. From Jason, Ricky, this was Cash Considerations. 